0: You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn East. In this series, we're following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke and experience true discipleship. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of Me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated
1: well good morning it's uh, my privilege this morning to uh, introduce our, our preacher uh, Pastor Jonah Sage uh, from sojourn New Albany Jonah is the the lead pastor of our sister sojourn church across the river in southern Indiana and uh, we're very excited to have him to continue our series um, in the book of Matthew they're also preaching through it as well and sojourn or, uh, Jonah is a is uh, a great preacher, a great uh, pastor. He's also a good friend. I've I've known Jonah for almost 20 years. Uh, We became friends together in college, uh, actually planted a church together up in Ohio, and God and His providence uh, brought us uh, to Louisville um, over these last several years. And so uh, let's, uh, let's invite and welcome Jonah to the pulpit this morning. Thanks, buddy. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. I bring you greetings from the far-off land of Indiana. Uh, it is a real privilege to be with you guys for uh, lots of lots of reasons. As Brian mentioned, he and Kevin are some of my oldest friends. Uh, Kevin Jameson was a bit of a Christian celebrity at college. He was the Kevin Jameson. And our friendship started when uh, I was eating lunch, and the Kevin Jameson came up to me and asked if I would read the Bible with him. And I was like, whatever you want, Kev. Um, and we've been he's been one of my dearest friends ever since. He officiated my wedding. Uh, we've just been in it, thicker than blood, as we like to say to one another. And it feels like a real privilege to be where he normally is. And it's a privilege to be with you all, a little fun Sojourn history. When Sojourn New Albany started a little over 10 years ago, for the first several years, we were getting support financial support every week from Sojourn East for about three years. And so I see us as being a jewel in your crown of generosity. Um, our church, I don't know how often you guys think about the other Sojourn Collective churches or how much is in your mind when you hit give on your app or how often you guys, sometimes we joke, we call the Ohio River the dividing wall of hostility. Uh, at least people in Indiana, it's a matter of pride that we don't cross the river. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Uh, <laughs> But regardless if you guys are thinking about us or are aware of your generosity as a church, it's felt every week by us. Our church wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Sojourn East. And I think there's a meaningful, consequential work going on in Jesus's name over there. And so on behalf of them, on behalf of our members and elders, I want to say thank you. And I'm grateful for your church. Uh, some of you may be wondering, where is Kevin? What's the deal with Kevin? I someone said that to me uh, in between services. They're like, I found Kevin wasn't going to be here this morning. I said I didn't want to come, but then the Lord told me to come. And now I'm really glad I did. Uh, and maybe you're here like, who is this guy? Why, why is Kevin here? Um, so right now, Kevin is on his way back from Cincinnati. He's been back and forth from Cincinnati for the last month because his mom's fighting for her life. Uh, and he's trying to manage both worlds down here and up there. And this last week, it was just really important for him to go up and be with his family. And he asked me if I would come and preach for you all. Um, I, don't have, I don't have words for how much Kevin Jameson means to me um, and the amount of grief uh, that I'm trying to carry with him. And so if, if it's all right with you all, I'd like to pray for Kevin um, as we start and pray for his mom, Jennifer. So if you would, please uh, join me in prayer. Lord, you are merciful, you are faithful, and we, we know that you love us. Um, we come to you, I come to you this morning pleading for your mercy um, to my friend Kevin, his wife Stephanie, their children. I, I pray that they, they would know how much you love them um, as they're facing some of life's hardest decisions and some of life's most difficult circumstances, that you would grant them a greater awareness, grant them power, Lord, to know that Christ dwells in their hearts. May they experience your nearness and in your presence be refreshed and renewed. Grant them hope, uh, both in this life and in the resurrection. Um, Grant them hope in your goodness. And I pray for Jennifer, Lord. Would you heal her body? Would you grant her relief from her pain in um, her fear. I pray, Lord, that you would, um, you would provide her with a real, a concrete awareness that you are with her, even in that hospital room, and that she would feel how much you love her. And we, we beg you, Lord, to heal her. In your mercy, Father, hear the prayers of your people. We bring them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you all for that. Um, I'll be... I'll be honest, um, Sojourn East and Sojourn Midtown, so we're part of this big thing called the Sojourn Collective. We've got six churches that are partnering together. And in my mind, I'm not saying this is right. I'm not saying this is good. This is being vulnerable with a few hundred strangers. This is the most people I've been in a room with in a year. So, you know, I'm a little on edge. Um, Sojourn East and Sojourn Midtown kind of feel like Varsity Sojourn to me. It's like this is real Sojourn, and we're like the kids over in Indiana just trying to figure something out. Uh, and so when, I, when I've fantasized about getting to preach at Midtown or getting to preach at Sojourn East, I wanted to be able to bring this big revival sermon where everyone's going to be clapping and see how many amens we can get, and then I can rub it in Kevin's face. I got 17 amens. Um, and <laughs> so I'll just be honest, I'm super sad right now, um, it's been a hard year, amen. (laughs) See what I did there? I got my amens. I got my amens. Um, And this passage, I think, is the saddest passage in all of Matthew's gospel. Uh, I'm a pretty emotional guy, generally speaking. If you know me, it doesn't take much for me to cry. Uh, while we're telling secrets with strangers. Uh, one of the things I do before preaching, sometimes I'll listen to Disney music. Uh, we're a big Disney family so I was crying listening to songs from Tangled this morning. Um, so, you know, I wish I had this real powerful, intense, exciting message, and I come to you really sad and, uh, in one of the saddest passages in the entire Bible, I think. Maybe I'll cry, I don't know. Don't be too judgy if I do. Um, it's so heart-wrenching to me, you guys. Uh, we preach week by week, and it can create the sense of distance in the story. Uh, but I want to remind you that the events from last week are happening on the same night. So we're still in the same night of the Last Supper. And verse 30, if, if you noticed, as it was read for us, or it's in your Bible, you can read it, it's in your Bible at home. Um, it says that after the Last Supper they all sang a song together. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. How good does that I haven't been inside of a restaurant in a year, so you can judge me if you want to guess about that. Um, but like being in a restaurant with Jesus, and then it was so good and so meaningful, and then you're all holding hands in the parking lot afterwards, singing a worship song. Um, it sounds so magical to me. And yet, that song of praise so quickly gives way to the silence of betrayal and abandonment. And in the same night, they go from singing just a few moments later to silence and sleepy betrayal and abandonment. How often the disciples' singing turns into denial. If, I mean, if there's one of several things, I suppose, that the last year has taught me is I preach better than I live. I believe better than I live. Do you know what I mean by that? Um, How how often do we come to church on Sunday and, man, we got drums and we're singing and I see these people and I'll do anything for you, Jesus. And by the time we've left the parking lot, by the time we're home, we've abandoned him functionally by the way we live. It's so easy to sound right and then betray Christ by the way we live. There's no violence in this text, but there's blood Uh, There's no soldiers yet, but there's betrayal. There's no physical pain, but there's suffering. And the suffering begins almost as soon as the singing stops. So as soon as they're done singing, Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to be killed, that the disciples will scatter and Jesus will be raised. And then he looks at Peter and says, you're going to deny you even know me. But Peter declared, verse 35, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. He had those moments, I take a bullet for Jesus. He says the right thing, so passionate. Last week at the Last Supper, you know, Jesus says to his disciples, one of you will betray me. And I find that a breathtaking picture of grace. He doesn't single out Judas. He doesn't condemn Judas. Uh, the text tells us that all the disciples began asking themselves, is it me? There's an invitation Jesus gives them to greater self-awareness, greater self-examination, a greater degree of skepticism in their own self-righteousness, their own ability to have their plans figured out. And now here we see that that warning was truly warranted. Jesus asks his friends to sit with him and he invites his closest friends to go and pray with him. These are the men that he's entrusted to change the world. They're starting a religion. And what is the big ask the founder makes on the last night of his life? Would you pray with me? That's such a simple request. Isn't that such an understandable request of your friends? Watch what happens, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. What's going on here? Something has happened from the time that Jesus said, hey guys, sit here and you three come with me. Something has happened in that time to where he's physically turned and he hasn't even started praying yet. He's begun walking towards the garden and and he says, I feel like I'm being crushed to death. My soul is overwhelmed with with sorrow to the point of death. Do you hear the vulnerability in Jesus's request? I feel like I'm dying. Stay with me. Something is happening. Be with me. Sit with me. Watch with me. Help me. Something feels like It's going to kill him even before he gets to the cross. What is it? Listen to what he prays. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. We have to think very carefully here. What is Jesus praying for? For a long time, I would have said he was praying to get out of the cross. I don't think the text gives us room to say that. He, he's talking about a present cup. He says, see how he says this cup, this right here, this right now cup. We know that he's not suddenly learning he has to die. He's not learning that suddenly his story will end with death. He just told the disciples he was going to die. Before that, he praises the woman. Remember that woman that came in and poured that expensive perfume on Jesus? And he praises her because she anointed his body for burial. Throughout his ministry, Jesus has predicted that he was going to be executed. It's not as though he has suddenly learned that he has to die, but he is experiencing something now that is far worse than what he expected. He turns to his father to pray, and what does he find? A cup of suffering. He turns to his father to pray and then asks for this cup he's experiencing, something right here that he's bearing in this moment to be taken away. There is something more than his death that he's talking about. The cup is an image used frequently in the Bible, both positively and negatively. In the ancient world, a Executions, particularly political ones, were often done by forcing someone to drink a cup of poison. And imagine a room full of people forcing one person to drink a cup of poison, and then everybody watched as this poison tore the person apart from the inside. The Old Testament prophets took up the imagery of the cup as one of the primary metaphors for the judgment of God, God's wrath against human sin and rebelling, rebellion. Rebellion. Often the prophets will talk about the cup as that kind of tear you apart from the inside consequences of human sin and rebellion. Jesus knew he was going to die, but now he's experiencing the cup of God's wrath. Luke's gospel records a heart-wrenching detail for us from this scene. From Luke 22, it says he prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. We've all been anxious this year. We've all experienced a degree of it. Jesus is so anxious. He's, he's so overwhelmed with grief right now that he's sweating blood. Under moments of incredible anxiety, your sweat glands can burst and then you start literally sweating blood. Knowing the cross was coming for him, Jesus turned to his father to experience heavenly peace. And what did he find as he prayed? He found the horrific silence of the wrath of God. Instead of experiencing the peace of his father, he begins to experience the hellish torment of judgment. Have you ever wondered why so many of Jesus' disciples died better than he did? Try Try to make a movie in your mind and imagine Jesus face down, begging for this thing to stop, so worried and anxious and filled with grief that he is sweating blood, And compare, like for Peter, for instance, the the Peter that Jesus just rebuked, history tells us that when when Peter came to be martyred, martyred, they were going to crucify him. And he refused crucifixion. And his reasoning was, I am not worthy of dying the same way my Lord did. So they crucified Peter upside down. Maybe you've heard stories of men being burned at the stake and saying our deaths will be a light into all of England. Maybe you've heard stories of martyrs singing worship songs to Jesus in, in cells that were too small to stand up and men and women facing down certain death in the name of Jesus, filled with confidence. And then we have this picture of the one they worship with this face in the dirt, pleading for it to stop while he's sweating blood. Why? Why this death? Why is Jesus dying this way? There's one really simple answer. No one in all of human history has had to drink this cup. No one else has had to face the cup of God's judgment against human sin. And think about what this, is, what this actually means for Jesus. From the Garden of Eden, the inclination of the human heart has been to turn away from God. Have you noticed, maybe you've seen this in the last year, how little we like being told what to do? I said that at 9 a.m. Y'all got to pray for the 9 a.m. service because they didn't laugh. They got uncomfortable. They were like, what are you going to say to me right now? <laughs> Have you noticed how little we like being told what to do? I've noticed how little I like being told what to do. Have you noticed how we respond to words like restrictions? Have you noticed how that's been a theme in our lives since before any of the pandemic happened? Kevin... This is, I'm off my notes now. It's the 11 o'clock service. We're off of Facebook. I, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, Kevin is one of my, I mean, he's thicker than blood, you guys. Like he has a blank check into my soul. He can say whatever I need to say. And, not, and he's, he's said it. He's been very liberal with the blank check I've given him. And here's how it will typically go. There are few humans I trust more than Kevin Jameson. And he'll say something to me. You got to work on that. Um, Back in the fall, he said, you're too angry. This is not you. Something's wrong. You need to take a break. Which is a pretty loving thing to say to a friend. And my response was, in essence, you're such an idiot. Who do you think you are? This is someone that I trust almost implicitly at this point. And then three days later, after talking to my wife and a therapist, I had to tell him he was right. Have you seen how often we just don't want to be told what to do? The fundamental sin in the garden was relational breakdown where we chose to not trust God. The inclination of the human heart has been to turn away from God. We don't want him telling us what to do. And so often the judgment of God against sin is simply giving us what we want. You want a life apart from me? You may have it. Paul will describe God's eternal judgment later this way. In 2 Thessalonians, he says they will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. What does eternal destruction look like? It looks like being forever separated from the Lord, the source of all life and goodness and pleasure and joy. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is experiencing the inclination of the human heart since the Garden of Eden. Jesus is experiencing his father turning his face away. He's experiencing separation from the Lord. He's not sweating blood from anguish of body, but anguish of soul. For Jesus, the experience of God turning away feels like dying. The eternal son, the second member of the Trinity, in inseparable communion with the father from eternity past, Is experiencing his father turning away. So, what do you do in moments of anxiety? What do you do when you're wracked with grief and uncertainty and pain? I imagine most of us do what Jesus does here. We call our friends, you go to the people that you trust, you go to the people that you think love you and are there for you to support you and help you carry through whatever it is you're facing. So that's what Jesus does. wracked with grief and anxiety, he turns to his friends, and look what he finds there. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Just pause there for a second. I want you to try to imagine Jesus in your mind. I want you to imagine what his face looks like, covered with sweat and blood, what his body looks like, overcome with anguish and grief. I want you to try to imagine the tone of his voice as he says this to his closest friends. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? In arguably the most horrific hour of his life, Jesus finds his disciples asleep. The ones he entrusted himself to. The ones he needed in this moment are asleep. Have you ever felt this kind of betrayal? Have you ever woke up one day to learn your closest relationships were one-sided? Jesus has given everything to these men. Purpose, healing, teaching, grace. And they sleep when he needs them the most. Could you watch with me for one hour? You feel the heartbreak. You can feel the realization. So he goes back and prays again. Verse 42 He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Doesn't that just sound so pathetic? Again, the cup. He's experiencing the full weight of sin. He's experiencing the judgment of God, but his friend's eyes were heavy. Can you imagine how lonely and isolating that experience was? Separation from his father. And his friends were just too tired. So with anguish in his soul, as Isaiah would say, Christ sets his face like flint and he drinks the cup. He will face separation from God, the separation that sinful humanity deserved, that the nations deserve, that we deserve. He will face anguish of soul and soon he will face anguish of body as he carries the full weight of the wrath of God. He will drink the cup to its dregs. And he will do so surrounded by those who could not stay awake, who will soon scatter in denial and fear. This night of great forgiveness, this is the same night as the last supper. This night of great forgiveness has become now the night of great denial. And there's our Lord with, a, with bloody sweat on his brow going willingly the only one who was unworthy to drink the cup. He didn't deserve this. He had not turned from his father. He was not a rebel or a lawbreaker. And yet the innocent one, the Lamb of God, alone, abandoned, and now betrayed, goes to receive the judgment of God in our place. And that, to me, is the saddest hour of the Bible. Do you, do you guys remember last week when it was 60 degrees for like 10 minutes? Do you remember what happened in your soul when you stepped outside and it felt nice? And you started thinking, maybe it's over. Maybe we're through it. There's a, there's a couple of things happening in the story that feel that way to me. That feel like warm rays of, of sunshine breaking through a long, hard winter. It makes me feel hope, but sad as the story is. I do you think there's some real frankly bewildering? It's things like what I'm about to say to you that make me believe the Bible is true, because I just can't imagine making it up. The first reality that I find so stunning or hopeful about the passage is when I step back and remember that Jesus chose these disciples. He'll even say to them at one point, You didn't choose me. I chose you. He chose those who would go from singing to sleeping. He chose those who would betray, deny, doubt, and abandon. God, in his infinite wisdom, chose those who thought too much of themselves and too little of Christ. If we are to believe the scriptures, we we are forced to acknowledge that these events did not surprise jesus heartbreaking though they may be sad though they may be for him they are not surprising i am the lord your god there is no other i am the lord there is none like me i declare the end from the beginning saying all of my purposes will stand and i will do all that i please god may be heartbroken here but he is not surprised which means that if he would choose men like this, then it stands to reason that he would choose a man like me. If he would choose people like this, there's a good chance he would choose people like us. The wide open arms of Christ have made room for us. I don't know who, I don't know who most of you people are, I don't know why. I don't know who's a regular attender and who's a member and who's just visiting. Um, At at New Albany, we often have people that come to church on Sunday to try to make up for Saturday. You know what I mean by that? I'm going to make good on what happened. I'm never going to do it again. God, if you get me. You remember the college prayer? God, if you get me out of this, I'll never do it again. I don't know who you are this morning. But if you're here and you're wondering if God loves you, if you're wondering if he's for you, if you're wondering if there's room for you in this grand story that is Christianity, I beg you not to look at your worthiness. Put it another way, please don't look at your past. Please don't look at the things you've done or the things you've left undone. Do not focus on your failed promises or the nights that you fell asleep when the Lord asked you to stay awake. Do not look there to know if you are worthy of the love of God. If you want to know if there's room for you in the family of God, look to Jesus. Jesus has made room for you, just as he made room for these disciples whom he chose. If he would choose men like this, he would choose people like us. That feels like hope to me. The second word of hope comes after Jesus prays a third time. It's a little harder to see. In verse 44, It says, so he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I want you to think about a time you were really let down. You felt that sting of betrayal you felt that that person let you down? And there's too many people in the room to have this be like a call and response deal. Uh, For me, do you remember all the things you thought about saying? I can remember the things I thought about saying. You ever feel like in those conversations, you've got two guns loaded and you're just waiting for them to say the wrong thing and you've got the whole thing figured out and you're just gonna unload. If you were Jesus here, what kinds of things might you be tempted to say? My mouth would be filled with how dare you and how could use. My mouth would be filled with I never want to see you again. How could you do this to me? Can you put the, the slide back up? I want you to see what Jesus says there at the end. Rise. Let us go. Let us go. He looks at his disciples who've abandoned and betrayed and he uses a plural pronoun. You know what plural means? More than one person. He looks at them and it's not me and you guys. He looks at them and says, we are still in us. He looks at his sleepy betraying friends and says, let us be going despite our betrayals despite our denials, Christ still looks to you and I and he says, we are in us. We are still his. He still holds us. And listen, if despite the wrath of God, despite the betrayals, despite the isolation, if Christ remains steady here, if he remains uh, resolute here, all will be well. If this cannot thwart him from fulfilling the plan of God, nothing can. And if his friends sleeping and betraying and denying cannot make the Lord look at them and say, it's now you and me, then that means that we will still be in us with him. By drinking this cup of God's wrath, Jesus transforms it into a cup of life, All will be well because the horror of the cup of God's judgment and wrath will be overcome by the bearer of the cup. We don't look at the cup anymore with shame and fear, but with joy and gratitude. Jesus forgives his friends and invites them to continue with him. Despite our failures, despite what you've done this week, he invites us to get up and continue to go with him. So now the cup of wrath has become for us the cup of life because it's no longer a symbol of wrath and judgment. It is a symbol for us of grace, of mercy and love, which is why we as a church gather every Sunday to remember this story, to be rooted and grounded again in the love of Christ that pursues us, that forgives us and makes room for us. And this is why we rehearse the Lord's supper every week. So pay attention to the imagery here. On this night, Jesus took a loaf of bread And he broke it. And he looked to his disciples and said, this is my body given for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. Have you ever thought about the wonder of this? The the core way Christians are to remember our salvation is through something so simple as bread. How often do we take advantage of bread or take bread for granted? And yet God has made it the most sacred of all items because he says, this is my body given for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. If you've gone too far, if you're worried that God doesn't love you anymore or your failures are too great, he says, look at something ordinary. And I want you to think about Jesus when you see this. I want you to take it and eat it and allow it to become you. That is my plan. That is my intention, my desire for you. In the same way, when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, sealed with the shedding of my blood. What does this mean? It means your relationship with God is sealed, is kept, is held safe by the shed blood of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're wondering, does God still love me? Is there still a place for me in the mission of God? You need to ask, has the body of Christ still been broken and has the blood of Christ still been shed? And if the answer to those are yes, then you have your answer. There is room for you in the family of God and in the mission of God. So I invite you to take your cup now. We're going to do this together, church. Open it. And take what frankly seems like a piece of styrofoam. So ordinary, nothing remarkable about it, but it is infused with divine significance now to those who feel far from the Lord, wondering how he feels about you. This is the body of Christ. Take and eat and remember what he's done for you. I invite you to eat it now. To those afraid that they've gone too far or their betrayal runs too deep, I want you to look to the juice and remember what seals your relationship with God. It is the blood of Christ shed for you. Drink this and remember what he's done for you. I'll pray for us. And then we will respond as the people of God with singing, and then we will leave here to live lives of faith. Let's pray. I'm Kevin Jameson, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com slash east.